This is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Ghanem. And this is Jamal Dejani. Well, guess what? Uh, to our Arab Talk uh, listening audience, we are speaking with uh, co-host Jamal Dejani live from Greece. We're doing our show, our typical show here at uh, KPOO in San Francisco. But we're speaking with Jamal uh, live from his uh, undisclosed location in, in Greece, where he is the sole Arab Talk reporter in Greece right now. So, uh, Jamal, give us a little update, an Arab Talk update of what's happening in Greece. Actually, quite a bit has happened in Greece uh, just in the last couple of days. Well, uh, a couple of, of course, important stories. Uh, one is the elections, which I'll come back to it later on. But today, uh, something really weird happened actually yesterday in the north of Greece, uh, in Salonika. And maybe this is a wake-up call or a reminder to President Trump about, uh, you know, global warming that uh, he seems to be in denial of. But out of the blue, they've had a hurricane. A hurricane? In, in Greece? A hurricane, yeah. A, a kind of like a quick hurricane in, in Salonika. It's unheard of. I don't know when it ever happened, if any. And it killed, uh, unfortunately, six tourists, uh, mostly uh, in a resort and in a hotel, and and a Greek fisherman. So seven seven people died. A Greek fisherman was lost at sea, and then six tourists just died because a tree fell on a hotel, and others died from debris and flying objects. Uh, it just caused a quick destruction, and. Uh, more than 20 people were injured. Um, so it, it was like, really, people are surprised, like the news. Uh, people are talking about it. People are shocked because this is, as you know, the tourist season. Right. It's in the middle of the summer. They've had a heat wave. Uh, all of Europe had a heat wave here. And this happened just for one day, and it disappeared. So this this is this is really unprecedented i would say and uh, of course you know scientists when something like this happens they'll talk about global warming that we're going to see events like this happening in different parts of of the world so that's that's kind of like out of the blue strange story that happened okay, just but, in the past 24 hours but in terms of uh i've never heard of the hurricane in greece but there is a political hurricane that's going on in greece right now and since you've been in Greece, there has been an election, and I believe two things. Not only does Greece have a new prime minister, but that that prime minister appears to be leaning much more towards the conservative nationalistic inclinations that are sweeping Europe in general. How would you let our listeners know about the, the recent uh, Greek elections, Jamal? Well, yeah, obviously there was a landslide victory for the center-right New Democracy Party. So voters in Greece have given Kyriakos Mitsotakis, center-right New Democracy Party, a resounding mandate to form a new government after it won by landslide over the incumbent uh, left-wing uh, Syriza party, which has been in power uh, since 2015. And, the, and the, the strange thing also, uh, I was also in Greece here when uh, the Syriza <laughs> part came into power. Yeah. I, I would say during the election time, first I was in Athens, then uh, another part. Of it. It, it didn't seem like they've had a major election campaign, uh, like where you have masses of people, like for example, uh, in the center of Athens and at Syntagma Square. They set up a, uh, a the actually the Syriza party had a stage right in the center there, and music playing and speakers whatever. But it didn't give any an impression of like a huge kind of like elections as we've seen when they came into power. I could be wrong, but that's my impression. But anyway, with ninety one percent of the vote, I mean. Um, uh, 
basically when they've counted the last results, 91% of the vote, I guess there are other um, ballots coming maybe from people serving in the military or something like this. Uh, they won. Uh, and uh, was, it was it significant? They received, was it they get 39.7% okay. uh, of the votes compared uh, with 31.5% for the Syriza. So uh, the Syriza, of course, uh, the um, former prime minister conceded and in a way kind of he's been in power just for the past couple of days now he kind of faced his first test with this uh, which even they call it uh, an emergency i mean it's a major emergency with this hurricane oh, wow. uh, that's just like you know after two days you know coming into power right so so jamal just you know we we've been talking about this on arab talk there are there are pockets in europe of this emerging right-leaning uh, nationalist kind of sentiment. It's also related to the Brexit that's happening in uh, the UK right now, the, pre the Brexit process. And many people have said that it's, an inc that it's a manifestation of, in part, what brought Donald Trump into power too, this kind of nationalistic, anti-immigrant kind of fervor that is you know, sweeping Europe and, you know, um, brought Donald Trump to power. Is your sense speaking with Greeks on the street, the people that you've interacted with, that this represents a political shift? Because the Greek populace, the population in Greece has typically been more left-leaning uh, in terms of their politics. Is there a big change in Greece now? Well, I mean, it is definitely a change, but it's more complicated than this. I mean, there were many other factors why, uh, you know, uh, Tsipras basically lost. But talking about the shift into kind of like the major right, for example, the fascist party in Greece, it's, uh, uh, which is uh, basically uh, called the Golden Dawn. The Golden and what? That's the Golden Dawn. Oh, really? D-A-W-N, yeah, that's the fascist party. And that this is the party which is anti-immigrant, um, you know, leaning, you know, that, that's what they label it as a fascist party. It did not garner more than, it actually got less than 3%, so it did not qualify. Oh, really? So if, okay. if they were leaning way to the right, these, uh, you know, these members would have kind of gained more seats in the parliament, but they actually didn't get, they got less than 3%. So the new democracy, they refer to it as a centrist in a way. I got it. Not, you know, in, in comparison with the Golden uh, Dawn party. So what, 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 do you, what do you think it was that turned this election towards the center-right away from the center-left? I mean, we know economically... Well, there were yeah, you know, talking to my Greek friends, there were too many promises made by Tsipras. He didn't deliver on on these promises. Also, there were shifting alliances. The, the, the Greeks are always nervous. They have kind of, uh, of course, as you know, a, a rivalry going on between them and Turkey, and they feel there's a threat. Uh, you know, when it comes to Turkey, uh, and so. Uh, you know, for one one thing, I know that Tsipras was criticized by some of his former ministers because he had he started this whole rapprochement with Israel and Benjamin Netanyahu, and uh, and people say, well, he had to do it because of shifting alliances and uh, you know for strategic reasons because of the th threat. Uh, you know, with Turkey, but others because, you know, historically, uh, Greece, both the, the people and its government, have been very uh, pro Palestinian. Has that changed? So, uh, as has, of recently. Has that changed? As of recently, I would say with the people, but definitely with the, with the, with the government, because uh, Greece uh, have signed agreements with Israel. Uh, they've had military uh, exercises, 
uh, you know, between the Greek Air Force and the Israeli Air Force. So I don't know how this will play under the new government, but that's definitely was a change as far as a political change in in the region. But also, of course, uh, Cyprus won because of the economy, and he promised people that he was going to change things. If you remember in 2014, 2015, Greece was on the verge of collapse economically. I right. mean, and and its debt kept mounting and mounting, you know, and they kept borrowing and borrowing. Some people have been saying that things have been improving a little bit as far as uh, the number of, uh, you know, the, the maybe the unemployment has dropped a little bit. People are feeling a little change. And then, uh, but the negative aspect of this, uh, they've been using more uh, credit cards when mm. they've been paying. So, so you're you're seeing maybe maybe they're falling more into personal debt, right? Well, the 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 other thing that I was going to ask you about the changing political dynamics, Jamal, is that uh, just within the last few months, speaking of Turkey. Uh, Prime Minister Erdogan has made a pretty significant shift away from allegiances with the United States and is moving closer to Russia. And I don't know if that's playing at all into what's happening in Greece at all. I don't know. Uh, all I know is that they, they, you know, usually they're, uh, they're very, they feel threatened because Erdogan also from time to time, from time to time, makes threatening remarks towards Greece and uh, as far as territory and so forth like this, even though uh, both Greece and Turkey are members of NATO. So, uh, so that's uh, another thing to take into, co in, into, do, into consideration. But maybe some people have been saying that Cyprus made that political maneuver to get closer to Netanyahu because he probably thinks if you you know, if you're closer to Israel, then you'll become closer to the United States, just in case. Just in case. They face that threat from Turkey. Okay, one last question before we move on to uh, Palestine and the Middle East and some domestic politics here in the States. I want to ask you about the Syrian refugee and African refugee crisis that you know, as typical for our news cycle in the, in the digital era of social media, it was a big uh, item, obviously, last year, but it dropped from the news cycle. And we don't hear much about Syrian refugees, African refugees coming into Greece anymore. It used to be that Greece, and specifically some of the Greek islands, uh, like Lesbos, for example, became staging grounds for the mass exodus of Syrian and African refugees, which then try to, you know, make a life for themselves somewhere in Greece or use Greece as a staging point to get to Europe. What can you tell me, if anything, are you seeing refugees anywhere when you were in Athens? And what's the status? I, you know, you know what, you're right. Uh, kind of the focus on the refugees uh, has dropped. And visibly speaking, I know that in the years, you know, like a couple of years ago and wherever, you could see it all over the place. But now they're probably, you know, I'm not seeing as, as many refugees in Greece, but this, this doesn't mean anything because I've only been to a couple of places, which is really Athens and the Peloponnese, uh, and, uh, but it was more visible as far as uh, people in the streets and in the in the media. Uh, it doesn't mean anything. It could it could have shifted somewhere else. But I know for a fact that still uh, many of, of the refugees still come through Turkey into into Greece. But they all, even from the beginning, they've had one goal in mind because they know that Greece cannot provide. I mean, they, you know, they don't have employment. They're struggling here with their own, um, right. you know, employment issues. So all the refugees probably, um, they just uh, focus on either moving, you know, traveling uh, north to, to towards Germany and and Sweden and, and, and Norway 
so they don't stay here for long. So, you, you, but visually, in terms of what you observed in Athens, for example, you're not seeing mass. Uh, no, no, it's 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 less visible. It could be many factors. Also, you have the elections and right, and so the focus is is on this. Uh, they could have been now uh, kind of held, uh, you know, prevented from maybe coming to Athens, or they have a different way of, uh, kind of transitioning from places like, as you've mentioned, Lesbos, and going directly into Europe because uh, they just want to move north where they can, where, where number one people are, where they can find employment, really, uh, more, more than anything else, and, and some aid, and Greece cannot provide this, they can provide the basics. Right. We're speaking with uh, Arab Talk co-host Jamal Dejani live from Greece. He's our Arab Talk correspondent and reporter in Greece right now. We'll be hearing from Jamal over the next few weeks as uh, he gives us the Arab perspective from Greece. So, J Jamal, I want to shift gears a little bit because um, now that you're you know, in Europe right now, a couple of interesting things have happened domestically, as the, and they, they do relate to what's happening in the Middle East and in Palestine. In case you haven't noticed, there's been a arrest and uh, charges brought against uh, well-known pedophile and sex offender Jeffrey Epstein. Now, um, for our listeners who may not know all the details, some 10 years ago, he was convicted of soliciting prostitution, got a sweetheart deal in Florida where he had to spend 13 months in jail but was allowed to leave every day uh, and, and just go to his office and then come home and sleep. And this is after, you know, basically well-known facts that he had sexually assaulted uh, young girls as, as young as 13 and 14 years old. He got a sweetheart deal from the U.S. attorney, Alex Acosta, who's now the labor secretary for uh, Donald Trump. Well, the Southern District in New York, the federal court, has now uh, charged Jeffrey Epstein with sex trafficking and a number of other charges. He's in jail right now. And the list of people that Jeffrey Epstein uh, has associated with over the years uh, reads like a who's who in terms of people who've also been, you know, very supportive of uh, Israel. The two notables, for example, Alan Dershowitz, which we'll talk a little bit about in a minute here, who was also Jeffrey Epstein's attorney for a while, but also notably on the list, Jamal, was former Prime Minister Ehud Barak, who uh, was known to hang out with Jeffrey Epstein and fly on a number of his... Uh, private jets. I don't know how that story is playing in in Europe and in Greece right now, but this story here in terms of the domestic issues is really huge. Well, it's playing actually, I mean, I don't know how actually it's playing here. I mean, it's in the news. I've been reading about it, but uh, mostly I've been focusing on how it's playing in the Israeli media. And this is a big story in the Israeli media. Uh, you know, in, in you know, I mean, of course, uh, as you've mentioned, the uh, Epstein, the billionaire, and he's also, by the way, a registered sex offender. This is not something new, and he just got arrested this week. Which, by the way, I read that the, his lawyer was attempting to get him uh, out free on bail, and I said, and my thing, this should be a no because he is a risk to flee to Israel. That's right. Because, you know, you're making that connection, and people say, well, why are you saying this? Well, I'll tell you why. Because he has, he has a strong connection, a political connection to Israel. In fact, you know, he partnered with former, like you said, former Prime Minister Ehud Barak to invest in his startup company and right. this is this is all over the israeli media in 2015 uh, ehud barak set up a limited partnership in which he's the sole shareholder right <laughs> and th and and that company invested in uh, in um uh, homeland security uh, which was established in 2014 right yeah. and then 
it changed its name. It's, it's something like there's a lot of weird things going on. Then it changed its name from Reporti uh, Homeland Security into Carbon. Carbon with C-A-R-B-Y-N-E. And so the company develops call handling and identification capabilities, uh, you know, things like this, security-related items. Barak, Ehud Barak, is the chairman of Carbon. Okay. And his personal investment in the company totals millions of dollars. I don't know where he came up with the millions of dollars because they don't pay uh, right. uh, politicians in Israel tons of money. But nevertheless, he has a, a major, major you know, investment there. And then now we're finding out that Epstein financed a considerable part of the investment, thus becoming a partner in the project. So now we know that the money that Barack has came from Epstein. Well, well, so that's interesting. Is, you know, so uh, one of the company's directors is Pincus Bucris, the director general of the defense ministry during Barack's tenure as defense minister. Gets really all this right. web of connections that right. you have. So all of a sudden, Barack has millions of dollars Epstein is a partner, even though Barack is a former prime minister, he still is a very powerful man in Israel. And is also playing, yeah. he's also playing a part in the election, uh, in the formation of the parliament right now that Netanyahu is struggling with. And we have those snap elections coming up in September, October, whatever because it's unclear whether or not Netanyahu will be able to form the parliament. But Netanyahu has been throwing Ehud Barak under the bus for his association. Yes, exactly. So he's been saying this because also Ehud Barak made several trips to the United States. And as you know, Epstein has his mansion in Florida and he has his whatever another mansion or townhouse in Manhattan. And so and a private according island. According to the media, he stayed there many times, and this is where we get from the original investigation, which ended up in a plea deal just recently, uh, and state rather than federal charges. Florida authorities found that Epstein paid dozens of girls as young as 14 or 15 years of age. Uh, many, Some of them are runaways or foster children for sexual services. Between 1999 and 2005, this is just like the tip of the iceberg. I watched yesterday, you might have watched this, I watched a very disturbing and sad interview with this young lady. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, and she talked about her experience when she was 14 years of age and how she got recruited, basically. And eventually, she was raped. Right. So that she, she was, I think, on Newsday, the show... Uh, talking about her ordeal, I think she was very brave and and she was talking about how she didn't tell her parents, didn't report it to the police, couldn't, she was she felt ashamed and, and this was the first time really publicly speaking about it, even though she told some of her friends there. So it's a... Um, but Jamal, but wait a minute. This, big mess right, for but this, Epstein, Ehud Barak and... Let me just finish one more thing. Oh. Your friend Alan Dorshowitz yes, I wanted was to talk also yes. interviewed, and he said, "Yes, I received a massage in his house, but I was fo I, I I remained in my underwear." Well, let me and talk. and the person who gave me the massage was a grown-up, not a uh, an underage, but I remained in my underwear. And I didn't see any wrongdoing. And had I seen any wrongdoing or young girls, I would have reported it, blah, 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 blah. Okay, well, let's just continue with Alan Dershowitz. Because I'll tell you what the young girl who was part of that incident is alleging. Because there's a young, there's a woman at the time, young girl, who was suing Alan Dershowitz, who's part of the lawsuit, who claimed that Jeffrey Epstein paid her as an underage girl, solicited her to have sex with Alan Dershowitz. And she has sued Alan Dershowitz 
for sexual assault and rape of a minor. So, and Alan Dershowitz attempted to sue her back for defamation and all these things. It turns out that Alan Dershowitz, you know, he's a well-known attorney, forgot the fact that when you file something like that, you open yourself up to discovery, which means her lawyers were then able to try to, were obligated and, you know, could get all of Dershowitz's records. When he realized that, apparently he has put that countersuit on claim. Net, net, this is what we know. Dershowitz and, and Epstein are close personal friends. Dershowitz has been on Epstein's flight, and people have referred to these flights as pedophile flights because it's been well known or articulated that men go on these flights with Epstein in order to procure and uh, basically sexually assault underage girls. And unfortunately, and, and you're talking, when you're talking about the flights, you're referring to his private jet, the Lolita Express. That's the Lolita Express, and that name is not random. He has a private island that Dershowitz has been to. That island is referred to as Pedophile Island. So it seems like Mr. Dershowitz uh, is in a whole heap of, of trouble. The fact that he issued the statement saying that he had his clothes on and the woman was an older woman is interesting because for years he's been denying anything whatsoever. It seems yeah, like Mr. Exactly. Dershowitz, it seems like Mr. Dershowitz is in a bit of uh, trouble. Now we want to be equal opportunity critics because, yes, Alan Dershowitz, Ehud Barak, yeah, but let's not forget about Bill Clinton and Donald Trump, because Donald Trump and uh, Jeffrey Epstein were dear friends for many years. In fact, there's this legendary story, Jamal, which was uh, confirmed by two people independently that Donald Trump and Jeffrey Epstein had a private party at Mar-a-Lago, Donald Trump's private club, for, with just the two of them and 24 girls to entertain them. That's what we know about. And, uh, yeah, and then you're talking about Dershowitz, by the way, and this Lolita Express. Yeah. Someone now pulled, you know, as you know, uh, you have to maintain a flight uh, log. Right. Dershowitz, uh, Dershowitz, who of course was uh, Epstein's former attorney, appeared on the Lolita Express flight log eleven times. Okay. So. So, so this is this is this is new, and uh, and then one of the victim. This is the, the the victim I was talking about, who was interviewed, is another victim, but. In 2015, the victim that you were talking about, her name is Virginia Roberts Guifer. Yeah. She filed a lawsuit against Epstein, claiming that he recruited her as a sex slave at the age of 15, sexually abusing her for years in his private jet and his various residences in New York, New Mexico, Florida, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. And then he was kind of passing her around to his friends, and she named... This is how we came in the in the picture, and this is the lady he uh, basically filed a motion against her in 2015, and he started tarnishing her reputation. Uh, the motion saying, you know, she's of course a a gold digger, she's trying to make some money, and uh, her testimony had. Uh, she was, at the time, by the way, she was referred to as Jane Doe number three. Right. Until recently when she was interviewed. Now we know uh, her her name. And this is what she said. She said, on a couple of occasion, I, occasions I was on his plane. And, uh, and she basically said, uh, you know, she slept with Dershowitz when she was 16. Okay. Basically. Underage. Sexually, she's claiming that she was sexually assaulted by Alan Dershowitz as a minor. So here we have Alan Dershowitz, Jamal, deep defender of Israeli apartheid and war crimes, deep defender of Jeffrey Epstein and uh, uh, as a you know and his sexual assaults and pedophilia. I think Alan Dershowitz may have to spend some time defending himself now because it seems like Alan Dershowitz, Jamal is in a lot of trouble. 
He is. He, he has been defending himself. That's why for the first time he's talking about receiving. Why do you go to his mansion to have uh, a massage? Well, and he says, I was, I said in my clothes. And then, and then he ends his interview, it's a funny interview, he says, I actually don't like massages. I mean, you should, you should see that interview. It's a real funny interview. Well, it's, it's so uh, inconsistent. It's, it sounds I'm like... Actually, I'm actually surprised he started to talk about this because yeah. he's been always in denial. Right. It seems like uh, Mr. Dershowitz is having a bit of a problem right now. This is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco. We're at 89.5 FM. We're broadcasting live from San Francisco, our San Francisco studio. We're also speaking with Jamal uh, live in uh, Europe right now in Greece. And we'll be posting the show later on all of our streaming media. It'll be posted on Facebook. It'll be posted on YouTube and on our website, uh, ArabTalkRadio.com. And hey, uh, talking about Bill Clinton, he had been on the plane 12 times. I'm looking at the at um, a report, you know, from the log of, of those right. flights. So, so Bill Clinton shows up 12 times uh, on the log uh, on the plane. Uh, you have other names like uh, Kevin Spacey. Right. He has been, we know the story. Kevin Spacey, he has been also on the plane. Chris Tucker, all these different names, uh, you know, showing up on on that Lolita Express that we now know what was it all about. And it turns out also from the indictment, Jamal, that uh, Jeffrey Epstein had eleven different phone numbers that he used to call Donald Trump when they were close buddies. So for Donald, well, Donald Trump threw him under the bus, as you know. Of course, because recently he said I never kind of like liked him, you know. That's right. He was never. Uh, he was. What did he say? I mean, he used his typical remark when he wants to distance himself. But again, we see this kind of pattern emerging: men in power, sexually assaulting, abusing, using their power to take advantage, to to assault, and to. Uh, traumatize young girls, you know, underage girls. And it's Jeffrey Epstein, it's Alan Dershowitz, it's all of these people in power. And now we, and, and as you said, and I think it's a good point, Jamal, when, when we draw the connection with pro-Israel supporters and with Israel, we're saying that because, you know, there's the real chance that if Jeffrey Epstein is let out, his first destination would probably be to try to escape to Israel, where you know, he would uh, attempt to, uh, you know, get away from being extradited. So we hope that uh, he's not granted bail. That's right. So uh, we're going to move on to another story, uh, you know, for uh, what has been in the news is, uh, I don't know if you saw that, Jess, but this is, uh, you know, Benjamin Netanyahu has been on a, a Twitter tirade, yeah, just like uh, Donald yeah. Trump uh, tweeting uh, about different things. But recently he started to tweet because uh, archaeologists uh, right. uh, have found in in Ashkelon or, uh, or Ascalon. This is, by the way, a, uh, an, a, it's an old town founded by the Philistines but it's an old on the Mediterranean coast. And it's an old Palestinian town. Yeah, and the, and, and the Philistines have uh, basically founded many of these towns. Jaffa is included, Akka is in, included, and so forth. So they found in that site uh, a burial site and conducted DNA, DNA. And then Benjamin Netanyahu goes on tweeting different tweets, starting by saying, a new study of DNA recovered from an ancient Philistine site in the Israeli city of Ashkelon, that's what it called, confirms that we know, confirms what we know from the Bible, that the origin of the Philistines is in southern Europe. <laughs> so what's he trying to say, Jamal? No, no, and, and so he, he goes on, you know, so basically saying that... Palestinians, if they claim 
that they are descendants of the Philistines, which we know that Palestinians can claim many things. They are descendants of the Canaanites, the Philistines, uh, Arabs, of course, coming there, different civilizations, uh, the Byzantines and whatever, that they are newcomers because, you know, the Jews were there before. So he's uh, using this uh, DNA trope basically to, you know, challenge the Palestinians' identity, right? And, and challenge Palestinians' claim, their indigenous claim to their land. I mean, he's... So, so, of course, a lot of people have been answering him, but most importantly, archaeologists on Twitter, they started tearing down Netanyahu's claim that Palestinians have no connection to Palestine, their homeland. And, uh, you know, of course, the Philistine slash Palestinian debate has been brought up to the front again, this time by him. Uh, you know, people are questioning the timing and whatever, uh, linking to a new Israeli study of the DNA collected from an ancient Philistine site, as, as I've said, in Ashkelon coastal region. And, uh, you know, he came under a lot of attack, basically. And it's not, by the way, a new discovery. I mean, this is really weird because we've been talking about it. It's, uh, you know, for many years, people know that the Philistines, uh, they may have uh, came into the coast of Palestine from the from Crete. Right. Right. And but this was kind of the norm because they were seafaring people, just like the Phoenicians. Right. And other civilizations. So the whole coastal area People were traveling, they were trading, they were uh, intermarrying and, and, and so forth. And, and so for him, he's like, oh, this is Europe. So Palestinians are Europeans, so they don't belong uh, there, basically, which we, is really funny. And this is where the archaeologists came and started to basically uh, tutor him about history. For one thing, during those times, there was no... Europe and Asia and whatever. I mean, these are modern day terminologies, the yeah. continents and so forth. But, so this uh, is not how, how, how you track civilizations from that time. But, Jamal, but, but, isn't, but isn't Mr. Netanyahu from New York and Belarus? He's from New York via, he's from, Bela, from Belarus, but uh, from New York via Belarus, right? Well, here is the funny thing, of course, uh, you know, uh, you know, if we talk about uh, Mr. Netanyahu's original name is Milikovsky. Milikovsky? Right? Okay. Yeah, his, his father changed his name. His father was born in Warsaw in Poland. Okay, so from Poland. And his grandfather was born in Belarus. Okay. So, so, so the name's origin, I used to think it was from Poland because it's from, but actually someone uh, wrote me on Facebook and said, and I think the lady who's on my Facebook page, she's um, originally from Poland, and she said, uh, Milikowski is not a Polish name. It's either Russian or from Belarus. So I dug deeper and I found out his grandfather is from Belarus. Okay. Via yeah. Poland. Well, Mr. Netanyahu, I mean, we... Have and, and, and so now he's questioning, you know, the Philistines moving few miles across the Mediterranean <laughs> Sea and he's all the way from Belarus okay, Mr. talking about the DNA. So I say to Mr. Netanyahu, I challenge him to provide a DNA test. I challenge him. If you provide a DNA test and show how much European he has in his DNA versus Middle East, I'm not even saying Palestine or Israel, just the neighborhood. What's the percentage of uh, European and, and, and Eastern European Okay. As you know, like he can he can pay hundred dollars and get a DNA test at okay, from but Jamal, and me and whatever. Jamal, I'm gonna up the ante on that uh, 
on that uh, bet with Mr. Netanyahu. We will tell Mr. Netanyahu that you and I are willing to release our DNA records to him anytime as soon as he releases his, and we'll have a nice discussion about all of these issues. How's that? Well, and the other thing is, if he's interested, he should read the article by Gideon Levy, who published an article, I think, less than a month ago, talking about his DNA, because Gideon Levy, the famous Israeli uh, journalist who writes for Haaretz, I don't know if you read that article, Jess, but he, he wrote a very interesting article. And he wrote an article, he went like everyone else, and he was curious about his origins. And if you read it, it's really, it's really very interesting. And then so he basically conducted his DNA, and both his parents are Ashkenazi Jews. And so he said, I just wanted to know, and he said, for one thing, you know, I'm just paraphrasing here, he said, that test verified that I'm a hundred percent Ashkenazi Jew, which I knew my mother, I don't know where she came from, but it's somewhere either, I think half, uh, he was half like from Poland and the other half from another uh, Eastern European country. I could be wrong, but certainly uh, from there a hundred percent. And then he said his DNA, what, you know, how they break it into, different eras, uh, you know, right. past two to three hundred years, five hundred to thousand, you know, so forth. And he said that according to his DNA, it's a hundred percent Eastern European. And even if you traced it all the way, going all the way back, I don't know how many thousand years or whatever, he said his ancestors did not even come close to Palestine. <laughs> they did not come close to Palestine or that whole region to even view it through binoculars, if they had, <laughs> you know. That was his words. And he said, just really confirm that I'm 100% European, and he said European, both on my father's side, both on my, my mother's side, and his parents were uh, die-hard Zionists, and he right. said, kind of shattered my Zionist dreams, but you know, but this is the reality. We're here, but this is not uh, this is not what I was taught when I was young. But now I know, um, you know, in a scientific way, at and from the Middle East. So yeah. he should read his article, and I think this is one of the reasons that Netanyahu kind of triggered that thing and tried to kind right. of throw that. Do you, that in the mix to kind of confuse people. So that's Gideon Levy's uh, article in Haaretz. Do you have the date if our listeners want to go read it, Jamal? Uh, I'll, I, I'll, I'll kind of... Can you post it on your Facebook page? Or yeah, say something about it, because I think I posted it. But it's within this past this past month he, um, he posted it, which is... Uh, you know, and then... And then, you know, like I said, from a... Uh, you know, anthropologists and archaeologists, they were laughing at Benjamin Netanyahu, who's making that kind of preposterous claim. And it's really a racist claim, in a way. I mean, this is a very racist claim, trying to discredit Palestinians and and say stupid things when you know uh, that he himself uh, is uh, and his family are immigrants from Eastern Europe. And many of the Israelis now and uh, trying to say, like, who has a claim to the land, because if you claim you, Yeah, but Palestinians, like I said, if you look at most Palestinians in the region, they're a mixture of people, I That's mean, right. by now. And, um, you know, we have Palestinians from the time of, you know, they were the first uh, Christians, you know, so from the time of Jesus Christ, when people spoke Aramaic. And then when the Arabs came, in the uh, uh, 7th century into Palestine and Khalifa Awar al-Khattab, there were Palestinians living there. Hello. And they were under the Byzantines, and there were intermarriage, and there were Christian Palestinians, and some of them converted to Islam, and some didn't convert to Islam. So what is he talking about? He's well, like, has this fantasy. Well, I think he has a delusional, racist, fantasy, you know, that 
That's why he should read Gideon Levy's article, because most likely if Mr. Netanyahu were to come clean with his own history, he might be facing the same reality that Gideon Levy faced. Hey, Jamal, we, we have about seven or eight minutes left, and I just wanted to bring your attention to a couple of things. We had the meeting of the century to solve the problem of Palestine in Bahrain last week or a week and a half ago. And I'm happy to report that since that groundbreaking meeting, that absolutely nothing has changed for the question and the problem of Palestine. Nothing has changed except a worsening situation for Palestinians in Gaza and the West Bank and in 1948. The meeting ended without anything of any substance whatsoever. And given the predictable news cycle, we know that absolutely nothing is going to happen until after possibly more elections. We see what happens with Benjamin Netanyahu. But I'm very happy to report that Jared Kushner's deal of the century has been an absolute, unmitigated, complete failure at this time. It was it was totally a failure uh, across the Middle East. It has been reported as such. Of course, some of those who attended and participated, they tried to put a spin on it. The U.S. ambassador to Israel uh, tried to put a spin on it. Greenblatt tried to put a spin on it. Jared Kushner's team tried to put a spin on it. But, you know, you try to shine it as many times. They try to whitewash it and whatever. And they know that they have failed. And they didn't find any buyers. Basically, I mean, here's a joke, and we'll talk about the joke, but I wanted first quickly, because I know we're running out of time, the article by Gideon Levy in the Haaretz was published May 25th of this year, and the title of it is Gideon Levy took a DNA test and found out the truth about his ancestors' wow. link to Israel. It's a long title, but all I have to do with that, and you read it, it's a very important article, it's very entertaining. But here is the deal, just so the deal of the century, they came and they said, okay, we're going to put on the table $70 million <laughs> and, and, and a billion dollars, sorry, and uh, Lebanon, Jordan, Egypt, they all have also a share out of that. They don't get equal shares to the Palestinians. Nevertheless, they're going to eat about $30 billion out of this. So leaving the Palestinians with $40 billion over 10 years. Over 10 years. People don't, you should read the fine print. I did. This is in projects. So over, te over 10 years, basically $40 billion. Do the math, right? So how much is that? How much is that? That's about $400 million a year. Yeah, it's peanuts. Peanuts, they want Palestinians to buy into this farce of a deal, sell their land, sell accept the, everything else that yeah, Benjamin rights. Netanyahu and Israel dictated on them to live under occupation. And the simple answer to them, Jeffs, listen, there are 13 million Palestinians across the globe, plus or minus some. If every Palestinian donated... $7.7 .7 per month, they can give the United States $100 billion over 10 years. <laughs> I'm serious. Somebody should do the math. Somebody actually did the math about it. It's an insult. It's, it is it's, insulting. It's ridiculous. Well, and, and, then, and then they're surprised that no one is buying into it. Well, I, I mean, yeah, there, no one's buying into it. No one will buy into it. Um, Jared Kushner is uh, a fraud. He's a fake. He's a fraudster. And I think the only plus about this, Jamal, is that uh, the, the, the uh, reality about Jared Kushner was laid bare before the international community in terms of his complete uh, ineptness and his complete ignorance about everything as it relates. We've got a few minutes left, 
Jamal, I want to let our listeners know in the midst of all the chaos that's happening in Washington, in the midst of all the gridlock between the Senate, the House, and the White House, in the midst of all the paralysis between the executive branch and the legislative branch, the House is trying to do something, Jamal. Uh, they're trying to um, they're trying to put forth House Resolution 246 because this is the new anti-BDS legislation that the House is trying to put forward. They can get nothing else done, Jamal. Democrats and Republicans cannot agree on anything, but it appears that some Democrats and some Republicans are able, with the help of APAC and apparently the White House, are able to put together this House Resolution Bill 246, which is essentially going to be the new improved version of the anti-BDS legislation that is going to be uh, going forth through the Senate. It's going to delegitimize the use of BDS um, in order to criminalize anybody and any organization that uses the um, anti-apartheid movement uh, methodology, the nonviolent anti-apartheid methodology used in liberating South Africa, it's going to make the same thing illegal for Americans or American companies to utilize the basically the same uh, the same principles. So stay tuned, Jamal. We're going to be reporting on that as it winds its way through the House. Well, uh, they've been trying and trying again to pass these different laws and both on, of course, this is on the federal level, but on the state level, some of them have failed. We're seeing uh, similar things happening in Europe, in Germany, for example. Germany passed laws. And, uh, you know, I think eventually, I think, I think eventually these things can be all challenged as far as the United States in the Supreme Court and they will lose. Of course. And, Ed, Ed, we welcome that. But, Jabal, we've run out of time for the day. We appreciate the fact that our Arab Talk correspondent and co-host Jamal Dajadi has stayed up past midnight to continue the reportage on, uh, on Arab Talk here, Jamal. We really appreciate it. We're going to continue this discussion next week, but we're going to post our shows on Facebook, on YouTube, and of course at our website so that you can podcast it at ArabTalk.com. But thank you all That's for right. listening. And thank Go to you, our Jamal. website, ArabTalkRadio.com. ArabTalkRadio.com. And you can subscribe for, uh, for free right. to all of our uh, podcasts. And uh, have a good evening, Jamal, and uh, <laughs> we'll see you next week. See you next week. Mm-hmm.